In the next few weeks, we'll be unpacking what he says about relationships. And he helps us so much with all of our relationships, the intimate, close ones, and the more distant ones. He is so brilliantly clever, our Lord Jesus. It's very uh, good to take note of what he says. He starts, as he so often does, by diagnosing the problem. What is it that is in danger of destroying our relationships? We saw it in the video, didn't we? And sadly, very tragically, we've seen it so played out on our, our news this week. The problem is anger. An anger that is expressed in hurtful words, in resentment, in bitterness, and sometimes, of course, in violence. I never thought I was an angry person, and that was um, until I had my first child. <laughs> Don't worry, she does know that I'm saying that. Uh, because, you know, you can live quite happily at peace with others when uh, no one crosses you. When, uh, yeah, until someone crosses you. Or until someone doesn't do what you want them to do. Or until they are so unreasonable it makes your blood boil. And of course, it doesn't have to be your child if you have one. It can be anybody, anybody who crosses or upsets us. When our buttons are pushed, when we are hurt or insulted or misunderstood even, when we are overlooked or ignored. And this anger that we feel is a really important emotion. It's really important for me to say that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Jesus was angry. And anger is important because it tells us when something is wrong. It tells us when a boundary has been crossed that shouldn't have been crossed. So anger must always be taken notice of. Anger must never be ignored, never be buried or denied. Anger must be acknowledged. Here, Jesus is talking about an anger that wants to hurt, that wants to hurt another human. It's an anger that's proud, that thinks it's better than the other. And he uses these two expressions, raka and fool. And these are difficult to translate for us many centuries later. Raka could perhaps mean something like, oh, you good for nothing, or you idiot. Uh, it can be translated, I spit on you. And fool, in this context, is absolutely a term of contempt. It's an insult. And Jesus is saying when we speak like this, or even think like this about another person, we are on dangerous ground this sort of language in our hearts and in our mouths brings us not just before human judgment, but before the judgment of God himself. Because God is a God of relationship. It really matters to him how we do relationships. If we are to reveal him, our loving triune God to the world around us, 
we need to demonstrate what loving, affirming, generous relationships look like. So he gives us two pictures of how to deal with conflict, what to do when things don't go right. I'll remind us of them uh, from the message version of the Bible. If you enter your place of worship and, about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or, say you're on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move up to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. Jesus' first picture is a private one, and significantly, it's in a place of worship, just like we are now. Jesus is saying we can't separate our relationship with him, our relationship with God, from our relationships with others. If we are to have peace with God, we must make every effort to have peace with others. And I'm sure you know as well as I do that churches are not immune to relation, relational breakdown. Far from it. Churches, including this one, can be places where people get hurt. So we must be alert to the dangers of self-deception, of believing that all is well when it isn't. And Christians can sometimes be the worst at this, I'm afraid. We need to learn how to confront and challenge and make things right between us. Let us encourage one another to create or to maintain a culture of honesty and courage in our relationships. Jesus' second picture is a more public one, and conflicts can be very public. They can be between people who hardly know each other. The first picture was about close relationships, and this one is more about distant uh, relationships. In both cases, both private and public, or close or distant, our action is to be the same. We are the ones to take the initiative. There's a sense of urgency in Jesus' words. Be the first one to make the move. Make amends. Make that phone call. Write that text. Climb down from any feeling of superiority and recognize that we are all on level ground. I remember a moment when I was speaking very passionately, let's say, about a particular American politician, and I was feeling very angry. And as I spoke about him to somebody else, I realized by my tone of voice and what I was saying that I was beginning to sound like the person I was criticizing. We are all human. And Jesus knows how destructive anger can be. 
not just for the wrongdoer, but for those who've been wronged as well. Because anger, if not dealt with, can fester and grow and eventually can cause death. If not actual death, then death of soul and spirit. Peterson, who writes the message, he puts it like this. The simple moral fact is that words kill. When we murder, we take away someone's life. It's like we are saying that that life is expendable in some way. And we have all been horrified, haven't we, by what we've seen this week. And that horror, that repulsion that we feel is part of our God-given image um, that we feel that when we see murder. Because that is exactly the opposite of who God is. God is the life giver. But when we speak about someone in a way that diminishes them, when we call them stupid or an idiot or useless, we are doing the opposite of what God does. When we put someone down, it is as though we are taking life from them. And those who have been spoken over like that <clears throat> for years and years can be really damaged psychologically. And that can take many years to repair, many years to build back, to give them back their God-given worth and value. So where does this leave us? What do we do with our anger? Well, for anger to be dealt with properly, justice must be done. People's wrongs cannot be ignored. They cannot be brushed away or shoved away or put under the carpet. People's wrongs need to be brought into the light and acknowledged and dealt with. And in order to get justice, we need a judge. A judge tells us what is right and what is wrong. Uh, a dear friend of ours is uh, going through um, a horrible work tribunal and he was in court the other day. And this has been months and months of gathering evidence and preparing statements to bring him to the place where he can then plead his cause before a judge. Our friend needs a judge to pronounce justice. And we all need justice. We will get it because we have a good and just judge. God is our judge, not us. As somebody who works in pastoral care, I have met far too many people who have been deeply damaged by the teaching about God's judgment. For whatever reason, they've been given a view of God that is punishing and vengeful. So when they hear of God being a judge, they think of themselves being punished or others being punished. But judgment is not the same as punishment. Judgment is about clarity about seeing things clearly. God is our judge, 
And as our great judge, he sees everything. He sees into our hearts and he knows us. He knows how we are wired. He understands us. He is better than any psychologist or therapist you will ever know. And God, as our good judge, aims at justice. And when God aims at justice, he hits it. So let us trust him as our judge. Let us leave the judging up to him. Let us leave judgment to the one who is merciful and just. Jesus himself was in a position to judge and condemn his enemies, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus chose a different way. Jesus chose not to go the way of destructive anger. He took the anger on himself. All the anger that was directed towards him, the anger from his enemies both close to him and those who were far from him. He took the anger on himself. And then under the weight of all that anger and all the anger that ever was and ever will be, Jesus died. He was destroyed by anger so that we would not have to be. What Jesus accomplished on the cross, that achievement of peace and forgiveness, he then offers to us. It's as though he says, I have won this for you, this prize of how to live well. I have won this for you. Now, take it and live it. Let's pray again. Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, teach us your ways that we may walk in paths of peace. Amen.